Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Emily Nicolas, Canada Land's French language media correspondent, columnist at the Montreal Gazette and Le Devoir. Welcome back to Shortcuts. Thank you, Jesse. Hi. Today, it is official. Quebec is more racist in French than in English. Look, I don't make the laws, people. Also, Emily, if you're against the anti-hate network, then what are you for? As you have guessed, we will be talking about Rebel News. Glad to have you back. Glad to be here. This episode is brought to everybody by Kevin Stanley, Charles Cole, Jean-Vierre Hamilton, Will Whitaker, Michael Villeneuve, Kate Rogers, Katrina Blomqvist, and Arsh. Hi, my name is Arsh. I'm from Surrey, BC, and I run a business there. And I support uh, Canada Land because this country is sorely lacking in good media criticism. And uh, Jesse Brown, as annoying as he can be, is probably the only guy who's doing it adequately. Okay, Emily, I noted this last week. This, in any other universe, would be a major news story. We've all been waiting for the courts to weigh in on the uh, most racist law in Canada, Quebec's Bill 21, the uh, anti-religious symbols bill. And the question from the start was, would this thing withstand a charter challenge? 
And the news story, because I guess like we can't focus on anything uh, but the pandemic for more than a moment, seems to have just kind of like whizzed past. I was a bit perplexed and confused by the outcome because the courts in a typical Canadian fashion did not give us either like nothing definitive of like, yes, we're withholding this or no, it gets turfed. It was some kind of a, is the glass half racist or is it half unracist? You know, it's like if you're an English school teacher, it doesn't apply. Also doesn't apply if you're if you're running for office to be a member of the uh, provincial legislature. But anywhere else, if you're a cop, if you're a crown attorney, if you're a teacher in the French system, no. And the judge acknowledged that this disproportionately affects Muslim women. What I want to hear from you is, is this just the rest of Canada that has kind of just taken a pass on thinking about this? Like, how is the Quebec media parsing this big development? First of all, I don't think Bill 21 is actually the most racist law in Canada. I think the Indian Act would take that <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that championship. I think it's important to remember that. And there's also plenty of racist laws that have been voted in federally. Even I remember the you know the no fly list. There's just plenty of racist laws to go around. Basically, that's it's not a competition. Yeah, exactly. A very very racist law. Then to go back then to your question about the judgment. The judgment does not use the word racist, but the judgment does say that the law is having a disproportionate impact on Muslim women and that it's discrimination, religious discrimination. What it says as well is that the way that the Quebec government is using the notwithstanding clause is abusive as well. So basically to walk people back, the reason why this bill is adopted and is legal-ish Despite the fact that we have a Charter of Rights and Freedom that protects against religious discrimination, the reason uh, that is is because there is this clause in the uh, in the Constitution that says that provinces, if they all agree on something, they can basically use this clause to not be subjected to basically examination from the court in terms of whether or not this law is uh, discriminatory. In Canada, we all have a set of basic human rights that are inalienable unless we feel like it's not having them here. The judgment that happened last week on Bill 21 is a judgment that the judge had is anti behind his back, basically on a lot of the, the legal tools that you usually you would have to determine whether or not the law is abusive. So there are only certain parts of the law that he could still assess. And those were the sections of the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedom that protect uh, linguistic minorities and uh, also the right to basically uh, be elected and participate in democracy. And so the part about linguistic minorities, he was able to found the English school, English Montreal School Board right in their session that basically was infringing on their right. And so this is why uh, in Quebec, you teach in a French school system, you cannot wear a religious symbol. But if you are working for the English school board, then you can. And the other part that was struck down as well is uh, the part where you would not be able to wear, for example, a, a hijab or turban uh, in the National Assembly, because basically they found that this would go against your, your right to participate in an election and be a candidate. The judge went as far as possible in terms of weakening this law. And then there might be some other strides that we can make legally, but only if it goes all the way to the Supreme Court, which it will. I note with interest that the court was able to recognize the rights of the English school board 
more effectively than it had powers to recognize the rights of individual human beings who yes. are in various French systems. Yes, uh, and that's because there's a section of uh, the Charter of Rights and, B and Freedom that protects basically the right to instruction of linguistic minority. Mm -hmm. Basically, the logic is uh, being a linguistic minority needs that you need to have more control over who your teachers are, who you hire, how you run your programs, because there are cultural specificity. So basically, English Montreal School Board made the argument that religious diversity was part of being an English Montrealer, so that the government should not, uh, should not thread on, on their turf. Okay, so we can look forward to another protracted uh, legal uh, outcome when this gets you know kicked up to the Supreme Court, and then uh, yeah. whatever the outcome of that will be. What I want to know is, I guess that this represents a victory for those who are in support of this bill. I guess it represents a victory yeah. for the government and for everybody who supports that government. And I, I, I'm curious uh, if you could plug me into the mood and the tenor. Are they taking a victory lap? Is there a debate? Is is it understood that this was the right outcome? What what's happening in the press? Everybody's disappointed. Both people who are against the Bill 101, both people who are for, and it also shows as well in the different editorial tones that you have from the newspapers uh, in Quebec, La Presse being more or less against Bill 21 and Le Devoir and the Quebec Empire being, being for. One editorial that came out that was really interesting um, as well was uh, in La Presse by the La, La, La Presse new editorialist-in-chief uh, Stéphanie Grammont, whose title was uh, Un Voile de Solitude, so One Hijab, Two Solitudes. Uh, whose fault is it? And basically her argument was that the reason why you have this result is because the CAC seeked it itself. It's no secret that linguistic minorities have rights. And so if they had, for example, only not applied Bill 21 to schools, then they would have not gotten themselves into that situation. So it's a mixed bags. It was also interesting to see even on Twitter the day that the judgment came out, everybody was saying, yeah, we won. <laughs> Uh, even people who were on opposite sides. And so everybody's trying to spin it their way. The government is disappointed and will appeal, the Quebec government, that is, will appeal the decision because they don't want to have, you know, French regime and an English regime inside of Quebec. What's interesting as well, and it's going to be interesting to follow, is that if it goes all the way to, you know, if it goes to more the Supreme Court, or just federal court, uh, it becomes a federal uh, procedure, uh, there's the question of whether or not uh, the federal government was, would intervene and uh, actually participate in the hearing. And uh, that is a very tricky political question as the liberals are trying to, you know, gain seats in Quebec. And so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, how and even the NDP as well, uh, who a while back were also trying to win back seats in Quebec, how much people will feel comfortable saying on Bill 21 while they're also trying to campaign at the same time. Even Jagmeet Singh was unwilling to say that he's against this and would try to would do what he could if prime minister to get rid of it. Yeah. And it was something that came uh, came about as well during the NDP convention that there was uh, some NDP members were trying to push uh, the NDP to have a clearer take on this. But yeah, politically, it's it's very it's very tricky to do. People are are trying to are trying to basically negotiate with their basic values. Look, all of this, you know, it, it, very procedural and complicated and and, and politicized. And yet, you know, mm -hmm. if you're a young woman who uh, wears a hijab, if you're uh, a young man wearing the kippah, if you're a young man wearing a yarmulke, you can't be a cop. 
you can't be a crown attorney. That's correct. Whether you want to be one or not, the message is very clear about who you are in that society. And that's something that I think it just should embarrass every Canadian. I'm curious how this fits into the sort of the everyday um, bigotry that the Quebec press aspects of it can publish. Uh, it made the rounds, the cover of Le Journal de Montreal, the Indian variant has arrived. Right. And then there's a picture of Trudeau from his uh, ill-fated India trip when he w- was in regional garb. It's almost as if there's some sort of like um, some sort of artificial intelligence bot that that malfunctioned. It's sort of like a weird <laughs> mixture of of anti-Trudeau slash uh, equating viruses with people, uh, the menace of the Indian variant. But it's here he here he is. It's Justin Trudeau. He's the Indian variant, and he's arrived. But of course, it's an old photograph, and it's not like. He brought the yeah. variant with him. I'm I'm almost m- more confused than I am offended by this cover. I, I'm, I'm wondering if, if this was, was this just sort of an everyday thing or was this noteworthy within the media sphere of Quebec? Okay, I will preface my comment by saying this is a separate conversation from the Bill 21 conversation. This is a completely different thing. But what was noteworthy about this cover, which basically tried to replicate the kind of things that Trump said about the Chinese virus and the impact that we know it had on uh, anti-Asian racism, trying to do that again with this Indian variant tag. I think what's noteworthy is that people did not have it. You saw basically a rebellion coming from the staff of Quebecer. They're really good journalists working there. They just happened to have a job there. And um, basically, uh, their union came out and said, we don't have any control on this. And this makes our own reporting looks bad. Don't do that. There's also a lot of people who usually stay quiet. You know how hard it is when you work in the media to criticize the work of other media. And this is why Canada Line is important. Well, then this time, everybody who works for other media were also what the hell. And so basically, it feels like um, this cover went over the line and that people are more sensitive that they were uh, to the impact of racism in the media. This cover also came just a couple of days after uh, a couple of people, including actually a Quebec Solidaire, um, MNA, and a Liberal MP in Quebec City and others joined forces to launch an initiative against what they call liberty uh, of, of oppression, <laughs> freedom of oppression. Uh, so basically <laughs> calling out uh, columnists and radio hosts who peddle hate speech and oppress minorities and peddle uh, social division all the time and saying that, you know, when uh, media are having a behavior that is actually toxic to society, to social cohesion, we should call it out. And so this is exactly what people did a couple of days later. That gives me hope, actually, not the, the cover itself, but that people decided that this was over the line and that enough is enough. That is absolutely new. Usually Quebecois can do whatever it wants and, and nobody bats an eye. That does strike me as really different, like a big departure, both in terms of like for yeah. uh, for Quebecois employees to openly criticize their own newspaper for, you know, I guess, editorial management's um, decision about this cover and to say that this is putting a stain on all of our work for their union to back them on that. And then for other voices, that's not how this usually goes. No, it, it's not. I think there's a shift in the last year 
in terms of even the conversation on systemic racism, a show like Tout le monde en parle has decided that it would be a theme, uh, something that they constantly ask government about to commit to acknowledge that it exists. So no, it hasn't been acknowledged yet by the Quebec government. But at the same time, it's becoming more and more mainstream. And so there's kind of like this civil society bending up together, public opinion shifting, more and more people understanding. I feel like a lot of Quebecers were really shocked, like everybody else, of course, by the death of George Floyd, but also the death of Joyce Echaquan and really started a conversation. So yes, this conversation started by Bill 21. It's an awful law, and I agree with that. But at the same time, I don't want people to feel like this is a reflection of what Quebecers, all Quebecers think. And this is actually something that came in the National Assembly, I think, just earlier this this week, when François Legault basically accused Dominique Anglade, who's the leader of the Quebec Liberal Party, to be against Québécois value, not being able to uh, defend Québécois value because she's against Bill 21. And I think this kind of rhetoric is incredibly toxic, the fact that you cannot be against this bill and, and be a real Québécois. And uh, it's obviously even more toxic when you use it as a as an attack against, you know, the first black woman to be a party leader in Quebec. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm seeing more and more Quebecers being openly against that and saying, actually, no, you don't have the monopoly over defining what Quebecois value are. And you don't have the monopoly over deciding what, you know, Quebecers really are and what we're about as a people. When I'm seeing that, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling more hopeful. Emily, I want to uh, duly note with you uh, a few things, and I will begin. You know, I can sometimes take a a bit of a dismissive tone towards the Canadian film and TV industry. I've been known to sometimes sometimes be a bit critical on the basis of that it's kind of not real. You know, that it's it's sort of like this weird thing where we just make film and TV, whether or not anyone watches it and it's it's funded by the government and it's not really that good usually. And it's sort of it's sort of just detached from the usual system of making things so people might watch them and enjoy them and then you make money off of them and then critics say things about them and then maybe you make more of them if they're good. And it seems like we've got this whole other thing where we make them because it's nice to make them. So you'd think that I would be a hypocrite if I was were not to applaud actual movement in the industry to kind of keep up with the Joneses, go direct to consumers and give people choices and try to engage them on the basis of the content itself and not the flag waving of CanCon. And so I should be excited by reports that there is a new Canadian Netflix coming out, reports the Globe and Mail. Mongrel Media is launching this thing, mongrelhomecinema.com. Six ninety nine a month for all those Canadian films that you want to stream. If you liked Nomadland, well, the director, her last film before that, you could watch that there. This is good, right? They're going right to the market with their wares. And what sort of cynic would raise an eyebrow at something like that? It would be contradictory for me. It's just like you can get these films streamed with your library card And I don't know, like, maybe it's good. They've got partnerships, maybe patriotism, maybe people love these films. Maybe this will work. You know what? To hell with me and my negativity. I'm duly noting this as a positive. Uh, There's a Canadian Netflix out there. Maybe it'll be great. I think so. I think it's always great um, when you have more options. And by the way, uh, this is probably one of Canada's, you know, least kept secret, but I think that people are really underutilizing 
the National Film Board Library of Movies as well. We already have this Canadian Netflix in a way, and all of those docs are available online. And I feel like it's not something that we do enough, be like, oh, let's go to the National Film Board website and see what movie we could have. I'm not paid by them in any way. I'm just saying National Film Board, maybe get yourself out there a little bit more because you have great content. It's just people don't actually go and see it as much as they could. This is true. There's a wealth of, of uh, amazing cinema and, and, and certain areas in which, you know, documentary and animation where Canada yep. has led at, at times. Uh, it's right there for you. You're a Canadian citizen. You can watch NFB online and you can watch a lot of these other films uh, for free through your library card. But to hell with all that, <laughs> $6.99 a month. <laughs> You'll be supporting Canadian cinema. $6.99. Six, yeah, Duly one, noted, Jesse. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> What do you have? Well, mine is not going to be as uh, fun and lighthearted. But last week, everybody, as I was saying earlier, everybody was, you know, discussing George Floyd's verdict. And I feel like we're not done doing that. Uh, Well, their verdict on Derek Chauvin, not on George Floyd, obviously. Um, And so everybody was thinking about that. Um, And it just so happened that France, in the meantime, passed a bill that basically made it illegal Uh, to film cops. And I feel like this is something that's just happened in, you know, a very important country uh, that we're supposed to be following eventually, maybe sometimes, and that this happens while, you know, we're discussing uh, George Floyd. And I feel like, yeah, people haven't been paying attention to that, that the fact that it's not basically always illegal is that if you're doing it with the intention of, uh, you know, exposing the cops or whatnot. So basically you're exposing yourself to be tried and then prove that you were not ill-attentioned in the way that you were filmed. So uh, c- concretely, it's going to work as a deterrent against citizens filming cops. Uh, and it's a huge issue. Obviously, we've seen the impact that filming cops can have. And so, yeah, I wanted to duly note that, like, France is being evil with this. I think that people can get the sense that, like... Um the rate of police brutality and police killings has just been going up and up and up, especially of black people. Um, I would challenge that and say the rate of video cameras has been going up, right? Yeah. And it was like, yep. oh, when the camcorder came out, we saw Rodney King. And now that everybody's got a video camera on their phone, we're actually seeing what's been going on all the time. And the only reason why we know about it and the only reason why people are being forced to do something about it is because we're actually filming the cops and France wants to make that illegal duly noted i have one last one and it involves you oh really (laughs) it does it does don't be afraid it's a good thing emily you are one of our backbenchers uh we are launching our our long-awaited new politics show and we announced it this week and wow people the response was just incredible we sort of suspected that if we put together a politics show that did not look or sound like other politics show there might be an audience for that and so far we've just been overwhelmed by the positive response fatima sayed is uh is hosting you and uh, a rotating uh, cast of incredible contributors, panelists who will be discussing Canadian politics on the backbench. And if you if you subscribe to Oppo, you're already subscribed to the backbench. It has magically transformed. And if you're not, go and subscribe to this podcast right now. The first episode comes out next week. And uh, y'all haven't even made an episode yet. And it's already the best politics show in Canada. You know, an unbiased view for me. I want to duly note the best politics show in Canada is the backbench. <laughs> go subscribe to it. Duly noted, Jesse. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Emily, uh, it was like four years ago that listeners to Canada Land met someone named Kaylin Robertson. And uh, what can I tell you about Kaylin Robertson? What, what Kaylin Robertson says about himself is that he he's a young gay man who was radicalized after the Pulse nightclub shooting. He found online uh, radical right wing uh, media telling him that um, Muslims were his enemy as a gay man. And uh, as he tells it, this this brought him into contact with all the figures that were rising in 2017 of the alt right. And he actually started to work for them. And he went to work for Ezra Levant at Rebel News. And the context in which he was introduced to our listeners was after he had a falling out with Ezra Levant and was making some explosive claims that Ezra Levant offered him hush money to keep shtum about the Rebel's fundraising efforts when he left the Rebel. Kalen says that he never actually received any of the hush money, but he did sign a non-disclosure agreement which he broke. And here is a clip from our interview with Kaylin Robertson back in 2017. The only thing I did fuck up and do is sign that non-disclosure agreement, which of course I've broken, but I think I broke it for ethical reasons. So I actually haven't taken any hush money from him. That £8,000 isn't in my bank account. Uh, if rebels say it is, then prove a bank statement showing that it was sent to me. <laughs> it wasn't. So that was the story back then. He broke the NDA and he briefly back then was sort of a crusader um, against the rebel 
and uh, exposing some things about the rebels' inner workings. I'm not exactly sure what happened in the interim, but the reason why I'm talking about him again now is that he is all over the media. There have been a series of New York Times stories about him, but also about the information that he's exposing because he's become sort of this whistleblower who's telling uh, the world, I was a part of this hateful alt-right media is what he's saying, and here's what I did. Here were the standard practices. Um, here's what Kalen said uh, just recently on CNN. My boss always told me and the bosses of these other organizations always told me that we should never let the truth get in the way of a good story. And if we can hmm. get people angry and if we can get people upset, that we can make more money, we can make more profit and we can drive the algorithms to, to keep pushing these videos. It's what made me feel very disenfranchised and end up speaking out about it all in the end. But actually mm. my bosses and the people at the top of this ecosystem, it was all fair game because the left were just so terrible. But actually the kind of tactics that they were engaged in, and even myself now looking back were engaged in, were far worse than the quote unquote liberal media and CNN and any of these groups ever took part in. It was completely devoid of any realism or any journalism. So, Emily, Kalen has been sort of confirming a lot of things that people have been criticizing the rebel about in the past. They just do not care about the truth. Um, and, and the boss that he's referring to there, uh, I, I believe, is Ezra Levant when he says, my boss always told me we should never let the truth get in the way of a good story. We're trying to get people angry. Um, the reason why these stories, uh, I think, have had legs and The Times keeps reporting on it is that he's actually taking reporters through different moments, different memes that he was involved in, including um, – the uh, extreme British um, media figure Tommy Robinson, who was who was once a rebel personality, and Kalen has been talking about how they would go and uh, kind of stage conflicts with uh, various minorities or in various uh, high tension protests, and then uh, quote we would choose the most dramatic moment or fake it and make it look more dramatic. We're also learning more through Kalen about a question that uh, Canada Land has had about the rebel from the start, which is like, where does the money come from? And, you know, Ezra Levant has always been steadfast that the money, by and large, comes from the rebel's audience. We've always known that some money came from wealthy um, donors. And one recent revelation is uh, that this tech billionaire, Robert Shillman, this Trump supporter, funneled tens of thousands of dollars to Tommy Robinson through the rebel media. And I asked Ezra Levant publicly if he took a cut of that money. Uh, he did not respond to me. Um, I don't know. It just seems like uh, this is old stuff, but we're learning more about it, Emily. And it just never ends. I mean, there was a, a lawsuit in Pennsylvania involving the right-wing Middle East Forum. And uh, court documents include an allegation that Ezra Levant was hunting for a deep-pocketed donor to bankroll a United States version of rebel media. So he's sort of like bound up in this other lawsuit that Justin Ling was uh, was tweeting about recently. And the, the final thing that I want to bring people up to date with is the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. One of their people, Elizabeth Simmons, retweeted on her personal Twitter account, a tweet suggesting that the Christchurch terrorism uh, was incited by rebel news. And they came after her and she took down that tweet and deleted it. But Ezra Levant's response was that this was antihate.ca apologizing to him and lying. And just for the record here, the Christchurch killer did donate $106.68 to the rebel news. And similarly, Quebec mosque shooter Alexandre Bissonnette had consumed media from the rebel, from Gavin McInnes at the rebel. 
And uh, English man who drove a van into a crowd of, of Muslim worshippers, Darren Osborne, also consumed content from Tommy Robinson at a time when Robinson was associated with the rebel. And this individual was also an email subscriber. Ezra is very prolific. You almost have to be impressed by the amount of conflict and litigation and machinations as we learn more and more about the um, the fundraising and the, and the and the wheeling and dealing. You know, as a publisher of a small media organization, I do wonder sometimes where he finds the time and gets the energy. He recently showed up in your city, Emily. We are going to get to know you intimately because we are going to sue you Forever. He was present uh, at the protests uh, in, in Montreal two or three weeks ago. Uh, I still love Montreal. In fact, I love it even more because now I know how badly it's being victimized by police. It does not deserve this. Yeah, yeah, there was a protest against uh, basically the curfew on the first night uh, that the curfew uh, was put back at 8 p.m. in Montreal and Naval. By the way, it's going to be put back to 9.30 p.m. on Monday. So we're going to not be free uh, from jail, but maybe have a little bit more leash. But anyway. Um, Montrealers can stay out till 9.29 p.m. That's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, and I feel good about that. What a year it's been. Um, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> there was a protest uh, in uh, the old part of the city, in the old port, which started specifically, uh, then led to a whole bunch of uh, businesses uh, having their... Uh, glasses broken. And so Rebel was present there. And so it's interesting because there's a lot, there's still a lot of confusion in terms of what happened in that protest, who were the basically the, the lead uh, actors there. Uh, but it's it's really interesting that they would they would come there. There's a lot of people who are against a curfew in Montreal for really good reasons because it's not actually a curfew is not a public health measure. I believe it's it's a war measure. Humans need to get out there. Like this isn't this isn't like some anti-mask radicalism. Like people people need to be released. Yeah. So there's there's a big spag. There's a lot of people on the left who feel like uh, something like the curfew is actually having a disproportionate impact on people who live in small apartments people who are poor, people who have addictions, uh, people who are sex workers, people who are homeless. And so there's a whole bunch of reasons why people are against this measure. Uh, it has a huge impact as well on women who live with intimate partner violence. And so there's that. And then you have the people who've been protesting against COVID measures in general since the beginning, anti-maskers and uh, anti-vaxxers and whatnot. And so um, it's interesting when you have those protests that it's going to be a mixed bag of folks who actually don't agree on anything but this. And then a player like Rebel News is trying to to jump in the mist and trying to stir trouble. But I also think that it's interesting that we're having this conversation about, you know, truth and whether or not it matters. It makes me think of all the conversations we've had over and over again about Donald Trump, about how we know that he was lying and people could expose his lies over and over and over and it would not necessarily have an impact on its popularity. So I guess the question that I have is, they're lying and will people who are, have been radicalized already care or if or you know if you and I are exposing the fact that they're lying if people will rebel news fan actually you know believe that we're saying this in good faith or are they too far off the edge so that it doesn't even matter to them and they'll find a justification for it or say that this person is a traitor 
Um, and this is why they're saying that to CNN and that. So, you know, so people have always have their internal logic. And I feel like one of our biggest challenges is to make people change their mind when they're past the point where they don't even care about truth anymore. And that's going to be, I think, a challenge for the decades to come. Listen, this has always been the challenge. I mean, you know, you're right. It's old news. You know, uh, Ontario Superior Court in 2010, the Justice uh, Robert Smith found that Ezra Levant spoke in reckless disregard of the truth. Again, 2014, Justice Wendy Matheson, his repeated failure to take even basic steps to check his facts showed a reckless disregard for the truth. Will pointing this out for the 20,000th time change the hearts or minds of rebel fans who I doubt are listening to this? No. But the practice of journalism is not necessarily about winning over hearts and minds. You know, when the New York Times goes and says, okay, here's a four-year-old meme video that millions of people got angry about for 40 seconds, and we're going to meticulously go through it. Now the truth has come out. Here's how it was faked and staged. You know, we're creating a record. Yeah. If I can share with you something that happened this week uh, in Quebec, it's it's a different story, but I think it kind it kind of is the same point. Um, it was actually exposed by uh, Isabelle Haché, which is a columnist with La Presse. Uh, there was this basically mini scandal that happened uh, last week. The borough of Outremont here in Montreal wanted to rename just the alleyway, basically a small, a very small street after Camille Lorrain, who's one of the fathers of Bill 101, there's this council that said, no, because there's already another small street that's named after him, basically. Uh, but we didn't know that fact. What happened, what came out in the news is that uh, six, I think, columns from Québécois uh, columnists came out saying that uh, the mayor of Montreal doesn't want Camille Lorrain to be honored uh, because he's a white man and, and she's trying to not celebrate white men and she's anti-white and she's racist and she's been influenced by woke people and woke people are taking over Montreal and the city administration and this is evil. And so people were being peddling this while the mayor actually had nothing to do with this decision. And the truth only came out uh, because of this column that basically went through the story, but there were already six uh, tacks in this other newspaper that were basically made it ma- making a huge thing out of it. Uh, out of it, and um, when one of the columnists, Denise Bombardier, was confronted by Isabelle Haché about that, her reply was that, uh, and I quote: "The writing of a column is not a court procedure where we trying to look for absolute truth." And I think it's really interesting. It's one thing when it comes from rebel news, you know, but it's another thing when it comes from people who are working in a very mainstream newspaper to say, my job as an opinion journalist is not necessarily to be exact with my facts. Wow. Huh. When you have rebel news-ish, you know, relationship with the truth that comes closer and closer to the mainstream like that, that makes me even more worried. That's kind of a shocking. Th- I mean, I, I I kind of know what she means. You know, columnists need a certain amount of latitude, but but to put it in those terms of like, there's a strong suggestion that no, we have latitude with our opinion, yeah, but not with the not facts. with the truth, not with the facts. If I don't have my facts right in a column, I will get a complaint, a formal complaint, and then there's a sort of an honor tribunal that we have here in Quebec, the Conseil de Presse, which Quebecois decided they would not, they did not want to be a part mm-hmm. of. And so they withdrew themselves from this kind of like journalists trying to check in on each other ethically. 
opinion journalism is about having opinions. It's not about making up facts. Absolutely not. Emily, that is Shortcuts for this week. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Jesse. I can be emailed at jesse at canadaland.com. And I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. We've got wonderful stuff for you. You can subscribe to the Backbench. You can listen to the new season of Commons on real estate, which just launched. Emily, where can people find you? Uh, on Twitter at uh, E-M-I-L-I-E underscore N-I. And uh, they can also find me in Le Devoir and in the Montreal Gazette. This episode is produced by Tiffany Lamb, with additional production by Kevin Sexton. Theme music is by So Called. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do and you want to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts, please support us by hitting the link in our show notes or just go to canadaland.com join. capital, Toronto. No. The capital of Canada is Ottawa. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Do we look that stupid? Hi, I'm Fatla Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a new podcast about Canadian politics. The new rules of politics are that whoever owns the memes owns power. <laughs> That's how leadership has actually shown. That's not leadership. Leadership is about saying, we're going to do something here. Well, I mean, isn't that really at heart the Canadian way? Every other Tuesday, the backbench will break down what's going on in Ottawa and what it means for Canadians from the best seats in the House. Like if the prime minister says something, his entire cabinet doesn't need to parrot it for the next 20 minutes while I waste my life. I'm sorry to be dark. It's just when you come from those communities, it's really not abstract at all. We can't appeal this any further to the Queen or the British court or the intergalactic court of some sci-fi stuff that I don't know about. You're here. Bang on our desks. Join me on the backbench along with Selena Caesar Chavan, Jason Markasoff, Jessica Ansundu, Drew Brown, Lena Manifi, Stuart Thompson, Emily Nicola, and Murad Hamadi. Okay, uh, Madam Speaker, uh, point of order. Madam Speaker, point of order. Madam Speaker, I do have a point of order. I feel like that's not a point of order at all. It's a point of privilege. <laughs> Just about you being insulted. <laughs> <laughs> Our first episode drops May 4th. See you then. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to... And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? 
They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.